Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So this is class 27 of our 35 class uh, jhana review. Up until this week, it was a 34-classer, but I added it up wrong. Right? Once I get past 10 fingers and 10 toes, I get lost. Uh, the, the Anapanasati Sutta is actually a five-parter. So this is the fourth uh, part of uh, the, the teachings on the Anapanasati Sutta. This section is the subtitle is Mindfulness of In and Out Breathing. And here the Buddha um, teaches us in very straightforward and practical detail about just what we're accomplishing by just being mindful of the breath. So as I read this, and I'll point this out when I get to it, um, the benefits of jhana meditation arise not by an act of will or not even an act of, of um, direct mindfulness. They're a consequence of right meditation or jhana meditation. Now that I have you confused, I'll explain this. The Buddha's words. Now, Oh, the Buddha's going to have to wait. I hate to keep the old guy waiting. But... Welcome back, Kevin. Thanks. The Buddha's words. Now, how is mindfulness of in and out breathing appropriately developed? So there's an inappropriate way that we could develop in and out breathing. But again, we have clear instructions. Now, how is mindfulness of internet breathing appropriate, appropriately developed so as to be of great benefit? And as I said before, this was early in the Buddha's dispensation, so there weren't, there weren't yet women in the Sangha, but they would be there soon. This is just uh, monks now. A monk, having gone to the wilderness, to the shade of a tree or an empty hut, meaning we establish seclusion like we all do, sits down, folding his legs crosswise, holding his body erect, and setting mindfulness to the fore. So setting mindfulness to the fore, another way of saying that is just to be mindful of your mind, that you're, you're actually directing your mind to do something. Always mindful of the breath, he breathes in. Always mindful of the breath, he breathes out. So... In some schools, even today, it's gotten even more exaggerated that a misunderstanding of the Anapanasati Sutta creates this long and elaborate breathing process, doing long breaths and very exaggerated breaths. And you might do that for an hour. You might do it for a week of your meditation. And then you might be instructed to, to do short breaths, almost um, uh, an anxiety type of breath, you know, very short, quick breaths. Um, and any, any type of variation of those, and that's taught as your meditation practice. What the Buddha is teaching here is just to be mindful of your breath. <coughs> Excuse me. However, your breath is present in your body. So sometimes you will be breathing in long. Sometimes you will be breathing in short. However you find yourself breathing, that's your breath. The Buddha continues, when breathing in long, they notice I'm breathing in long. So you just notice it. It's not a distraction. It's not something you're trying to generate or fabricate. When breathing out long, they notice I am breathing out long. Or when breathing in short, they notice I'm breathing in short. Or when breathing out short, they notice I am breathing out short. Not to go there, not to, again, manufacture or fabricate it. Just whatever is there. Then the Buddha says they train themselves. I will breathe in sensitive to the entire body. So this is when you when you start uniting your mind and your body, 
and you actually have your um, your thought process originating in that mind united in its body, that's what it's telling you to do. Just to be sensitive that, yes, there's a mind and a body. As, as opposed to using meditation for experience or escape, meaning getting out of your body. For the first 15 years of my Buddhist practice, mm-hmm. It was always presented in one way or another to get out of your body, to, to experience nothingness or emptiness, or to create visions of a. Who is this? Cody keeps bouncing around. Or to create visions of um, imaginary realms and then put yourself there. All of that is annihilation, and all of it causes you to be insensitive to the body, doesn't it? I, I don't like where this is. I don't like what's happening to this body. Let me get the hell out of here. And that is dukkha. It's always painful when we, do, when we do that. He trains himself. I will breathe out sensitive to the entire body. He trains himself. I will breathe in calming bodily fabrications. There's a comma after breathing in. Why do I say that? Because the, bo- the bodily fabrications calm naturally by just being mindful of the breath. The Buddha doesn't say you breathe in and while you're breathing in, calm your bodily fabrications. There's no um, concentration developed that way, is there? Just by being mindful of the in-breath and the out-breath, our bodily fabrications calm. What does that mean? It means that if you happen to have pain, you might not be distracted by the pain. It doesn't mean that you're going to be miraculously cured of pain. I meditate twice a day every day and, you know, a fair amount of pain. Meds help, but it doesn't get rid of it all. But it doesn't mean that I can't meditate just because I have pain in my body. It just means that I'm sensitive to that. That's what's going on. I'm not taking it personally. It's not why is this happening to me? Why do I have such a beat up old body or anything like that? I had a, a nice time with Kevin yesterday talking about, you know, this this body is pretty good. You know, this is my life is is wonderful i i couldn't want it to be any different than it is because it can't be but just being present for that is life enough because that's where my life is right now right however we find ourselves however we we find the ever-changing quality of being sensitive to our body that's it just be sensitive to it don't need it to be any different than it is don't need yourself to ever be any different than you find yourself in this moment. He trains himself, I will breathe out, calming bodily fabrications. He trains himself, I will breathe in, sensitive to raptures, joyful engagement with the Dhamma. We're just sensitive to it. We're noticing it. And that's why another reason why we run our classes this way. And we always talk about this. What are you, what are you finding in your practice? What are you sensitive to? And do you notice a developing calm? Do you notice a developing concentration? And we all, you know, we all say yes as we continue with practice. He trains himself, I will breathe out, sensitive to rapture. He trains himself, I will breathe in, sensitive to pleasure. Now, there's a difference between sensuality and sensitivity, isn't it? Sensitive to just means that I am open. I'm open and present for what is occurring. I'm sensitive to it. I'm using my five senses and my sixth sense, the mind, con- uh, uh, concentra- uh, um, consciousness. consciousness. Thank you, Becky. <laughs> Becky's always, you've heard enough of these classes that you know <laughs> what I'm about to say. And our consciousness, the sixth sense base, we're finally using our senses as they were intended to inform me in this moment of what's going on in my life. What am I present for? Because this is where my life is, isn't it? It's right here, right now. I don't need to go anywhere to have a wonderful experience in my life. In fact, I can't go anywhere, can I? If I want to have a human life, I have to be present for it. That's what Siddhartha Gautama realized. It's not out there. It's not getting different or getting better or having any kind of special favor bestowed on you because you're just the most wonderful person that ever lived it's about being present for this moment in your life and the next and the next 
He trains himself, I will breathe out, sensitive to pleasure. He trains himself, I will breathe in, sensitive to mental fabrication. Again, we're not creating a fabrication on top of a fabrication. We're just sensitive to it so we can recognize it. And again, we all talk about this in every class, recognizing what's really going on in our minds. The Tibetan word for meditation is gom, G-O-M. We don't do Tibetan meditation, but what gom means is to become familiar with. Jhana meditation allows us to become familiar with our own minds. He trains himself, I will breathe out, sensitive to mental fabrication. He trains himself, I will breathe in, calming mental fabrications. As a consequence of ongoing jhana practice, mental fabrications will calm. He trains himself, I will breathe out, calming mental fabrications. So you, you've all noticed how your mental fabrications are calming. Even if it's just for a couple of breaths, notice it. That's what the Buddha is saying. It's so important to notice that that's what's occurring. He trains himself, I will breathe out. I'm sorry, this one line. He trains himself, I will breathe in, sensitive to the mind. I'm finally acknowledging that I have a thinking mind, and now I'm directly accessing it, rather than just letting... Rather than having my mind as a tool for reaction, I'm learning how to gain control of my mind and apply it appropriately, appropriate mindfulness. He trains himself, I will breathe out, sensitive to the mind. He trains himself, I will breathe in, calming the mind. That's all we have to do is to be mindful of our in-breath and our out-breath and the mind will calm. He trains himself, I will breathe out, calming the mind. He trains himself, I will breathe in, steadying the mind. He trains himself, I will breathe out, steadying the mind. He trains himself, I will breathe in, releasing the mind. Releasing the mind from what? From all fabricated views, all views ignorant of four noble truths. He trains himself, I will breathe out, releasing the mind. He trains himself, I will breathe in, focusing on inconstancy. So the Buddha is changing the verbiage a little bit here. Why is he doing that? Notice the impermanent nature of all things. And in so doing, we depersonalize everything. If everything is impermanent, and I know it, I know it in my, I'm going to say my bones, but I, I know it in a mind united in this body, that everything is impermanent. And if everything is impermanent, including me, how can I take myself personally? Right? My life is just like my breath. It arises and it passes away. Just like every other human life, it arises and passes away. It's, it, it, it's, the, most, uh, it's the most natural way of understanding yourself in the world we live in, isn't it? This is life. And this is my life. This is when I get the chance to live my life. There is no other chance. You know, we, on, we only get one chance at life, as far as we know. Everything else is just pure speculation. Where we don't go, because we understand that speculation is painful. It's a distraction. So if I can get just get to that understanding that I get this one life, this one chance to live it, I want to be present for it, don't I? I don't want to always be figuring out where I'm going or where I need to get to or what I need to solve the problem of John. No, I just, I just have to be present for the problem of John. But if, I'm, if I do that, then I can do something about this. Then I can recognize that there's nothing broken in me. There's nothing wrong about me. There's nothing sinful. I mean, there might be, depending on my actions, I guess. This is me. Popeye was right. I am what I am. He trains himself. I will breathe in, focusing on dispassion. So after focusing on inconstancy, impermanence, now the Buddha is saying, focus on dispassion. Now that you understand that everything is impermanent, now you can notice and focus on dispassion arising. I'm no longer passionate for, for eye-making and constant eye-making. 
he trains himself, I will breathe out. Focusing on dispassion. What is there to be passionate about? Meaning, uh, as it manifests through greed and aversion because of deluded thinking. You know, I just had this wonderful meditation session. I'm, I'm the most wonderful person in the world. All you're doing is being mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath. There's nothing special about that. So even meditation, even this great practice of ours, doesn't make us anything special, does it? What we are realizing is the ordinariness of a human life and the ordinariness of this moment. The most ordinary thing for me to do is to understand I'm a human being. Instead of all the other things that I thought I had to be that weren't part of this human being's life experience, right? Rather than live in my head, I'm going to play center field for the Yankees. I'm right here right now. I'm 5'7". I'm slow afoot. I've never seen a center fielder for the Yankees that used a walker yet, so it's not <laughs> likely to happen. <clears throat> but a deluded person might feel bad that I can't make I never played center field for the Yankees. So what? Well, in my case, I should have played. He trains himself. I will. Yeah. Was that nice? You know, I take that personally. He trains himself. I will breathe in, focusing on cessation. Cessation of what? Cessation of my own ignorance of four noble truths. He trains himself, I will breathe out, focusing on cessation. Focus on it. Be mindful of it. Put your refined mindfulness and your concentration and noticing this is what's occurring. He trains himself, I will breathe in, focusing on relinquishment, finally letting go of all those ignorant views. He trains himself, I will breathe out, Finally, focusing on relinquishment. And then the Buddha says, this is how mindfulness of internet breathing is developed and pursued so as to be of great benefit. This is how we do it. Just like this, just by being mindful of your breath and then noticing what's occurring and then understanding what I should be focused on, understanding impermanence, understanding dispassion, understanding relinquishment. Right? It seems to me after excuse me. After teaching for I can't remember how many years now. About a hundred and fifty. Um <laughs> see. I, I forgot what I was gonna say. It's been my mind is I've been teaching so long. It seems to me that the hardest thing for human beings to do, including this one, is to change their mind. Because we have such a vested interest in, in a lot of energy that we put into this mind. No matter how troubled or deluded it might be, it's all that I know. And especially in the beginning, it's very difficult to just even accept the idea that maybe my thinking was a little bit off. Forget that it was completely deluded. Excuse me. But we don't have to bite off that big chunk all at once. We train ourselves. We breathe in and we breathe out. And we notice the changes. We notice the deepening concentration. We notice the development, the development of this very gentle but well-focused, refined mindfulness. We realize that we're finally learning on how to think. John, you said it. You said you don't have to bite off that big chunk. But there's really not a big chunk to bite off, right? It's another one Yes, you're right. Right, because it's nothing. I mean, this whole thing is me. It's like this is the scope of it. Yeah. Do anything more than that, and to do any more than that is a distraction, or it's yeah. cause pain. So it's always it always seems to be corralling you back to the practice. Yeah, and I, this is, again, this is another suit to that. The, it's obvious what the Buddha is doing here and what David is saying. Don't go there. Don't go into all those things 
that you condition yourself to think are you and are important in life. It's just this one thing. What is it? My breath and my body in this moment. And ultimately, that's where our, our Dhamma practice begins and ends, isn't it? No matter what we're doing, free of greed, free of aversion, free of any kind of deluded thought about who I am in relation to the world. I understand what it means to be a human being. The next section is on the four frames of reference or the four foundations of mindfulness. And the Buddha is telling us now how to apply this ever, ever deepening understanding of our own minds. And again, I'll make the point that sensuality and sensitivity are two opposing mind states. Buddha's words. Now, how is mindfulness of the in-breath and the out-breath appropriately developed so as to bring the four frames of reference, the four foundations of mindfulness to their culmination? So this is closing the loop, isn't it? We begin our Dhamma practice with just learning to apply these four foundations of mindfulness to our jhana practice, to keeping us on our cushion. On whatever occasion a, a monk breathing in long is mindful of breathing in long or breathing out long is mindful of breathing out long or breathing in short is mindful of breathing in short or breathing out short is mindful of breathing out short. They continue to train their mind, however we find our breathing. I will breathe in and breathe out, sensitive to the body. He trains himself, I will breathe in and breathe out, calming bodily fabrications. On this occasion, meaning when, when this occurs, when we are appropriately developing jhana meditation in the four foundations of mindfulness. When this occurs, the monk remains focused on the breath in the body in and of itself. That's a line that means there's no distraction. It's just that. In and of itself, nothing else going on. Ardent, alert, and mindful while putting aside craving and distress with reference to the world. So on our cushion, we might find ourselves having had a difficult day and we establish that refuge and we start sitting in meditation. And the thought arises, uh-oh, I forgot to take a breath, come back, unite your mind and your body. In a few more breaths, you might be thinking about, oh, I'm going to have a fight with that person tomorrow. Take a breath. You might have another thought about what's going on in the world and, and you have a reaction to that. Take a breath, unite your mind and your body and learn to not take anything personal. And again, it's very difficult, but we're not dealing with anything that has any substance. It's just a thought. And whatever blocks us in developing the Dhamma is just between our ears. There, there are thoughts, it's not something out there. And so at some point I have to admit, or not, <laughs> that I'm either going to have control of my mind and I'm going to gain control of my mind, or I'm going to give up. Because, again, this is what Siddhartha is teaching us. This is what he, he found out. What he realized was the problem, is we're distracted by greed and aversion rooted in deluded thinking. And as we learn how to think and properly apply that thinking, we liberate ourselves from that. While putting aside craving and distress with reference to the world, I'm at peace with everything. I don't need anything to be any different. Why? Because I finally understand that even though I could look out on the world, I, again, I made the mistake of watching the news yesterday. I look out on the world and I could say, that is it's horrendous. It's horrible but it's no different. In my lifetime, there hasn't been one day when there wasn't a war going on, when human beings weren't killing each other. And that's not meant to be the, the most depressing thing you could ever think about. It's just true. And where does that bring, what good does that thought do me? Because I realize that that same aggressiveness could be a part of me, unless I take control of my mind. And because I understand that, 
I can also understand how some people can lose their minds and what that must be like. And I can also understand this is the world I live in. But am I going to be in conflict with you because of it? Am I going to be in conflict with myself because of it? Which is really what happens is we get, we get stuck in two opposing views in the world today. The world conditions us towards that, that I should be doing something about this. I should be saving something or saving someone or changing a situation. Well, as soon as I do that, as soon as I do that, even though the, the, the intention might seem noble, as soon as I think the world needs to be different than it is, I'm in conflict with it, aren't I? And where did that conflict arise from? It, it's not from what's going on in the world. It's what's going on between my ears and my thoughts about me in relation to that world. I need the world to be different. That's foolish, isn't it? Because the world can't be different. It doesn't mean that in the next moment, things might change. They will change. Everything always changes. In fact, if I want change, all I have to do is take a breath and look around me. Because it always will change. It doesn't mean that it'll change in a way that I might hope it to be. But that's, I'm caught up in my mind anyway, aren't I? I'm back to playing, insisting that I must play center field for the Yankees. Or that human beings don't kill other human beings. Instead of realizing this is my life. Let me be present for what's occurring. I, Buddha continues, I will tell you monks and ladies and gentlemen, the in and out breath is unsurpassed as a body among bodies. As a body among bodies. It's unsurpassed as a body among bodies. The in-breath and the out-breath. It brings this body in a line with all the other ones. I'm now a human being. By virtue of my mindfulness of my in-breath and my out-breath, I've united my mind and my body. And now I'm just a body among bodies. Doing the same thing that everybody else is doing. Living a human life. On the occasion that one remains focused on the body, free of distraction, ardent, alert, and mindful, they are putting aside craving and distress with reference to the world. They're doing it right, the Buddha is saying. On any occasion, a monk trains himself, I will breathe in and breathe out, sensitive to, to rapture, sensitive to joyful engagement. I will breathe in and breathe out, sensitive to pleasure. It's okay to take pleasure in your life. In fact, it's kind of the whole point of liberating your mind so that each and every moment can be pleasurable simply because you're living it. And that makes every moment meaningful. I will breathe in and breathe out, sensitive to mental fabrication. I will breathe in and breathe out, calming mental fabrication. So if I find a fabrication arising, I know what to do. Breathe in and breathe out. And that fabrication will calm. On this occasion, the monk remains focused on feelings, free of distraction, ardent, alert, and mindful, while putting aside craving and distress with reference to the world. I'm no longer being driven by my feelings or my reactions or my emotions or blaming you or the world for what I'm feeling or how I'm thinking about how I'm feeling. You're not to blame for my feelings, no matter how the thinking has changed in the world. Only I am responsible for my feelings. And once I take responsibility for that, then I can feel anything I want to feel. But what I probably will feel is whatever feeling is appropriate to this moment. So when I watch the news and I see things that are going on that are horrible, I feel sad. Really, I mean, I was actually brought to tears here yesterday. But that's because I'm a human being. Sometimes it's sad how we treat each other as a species. Sometimes it's sad just to realize what goes on in this world. But there's the 99 in one. You know, I talk about that occasionally. We're so distracted by dukkha, by the things of the world that we want to be different or the people in the world that we want to be different, that we don't realize that 99% of life is wonderful. 
And it's really that 1% that gets our attention and gets our distraction and makes it to the evening news. But that's just a, a, a sliver of what human life is all about. And in this moment, there's no conflict if I have control of my mind. Let me go back to that. I tell you, monks, that mindfulness of in-breaths and out-breaths can be seen as <clears throat> a singular feeling among feelings, which is why the monk on this occasion remains focused on feelings free of distraction, ardent, alert, and mindful while putting aside craving and distress with a reference to the world. Whatever this feeling is, and it could be sadness, it could be anger, but I don't have to live in that anger. Even if anger arises, I know what to do. And instead of that anger lasting for days, weeks, months, or years within me, it lasted for one breath. And now I've noticed that a, another mental fabrication has come. By just doing this practice, the Buddha continues, whenever a monk trains himself, I will breathe in and breathe out, sensitive to the mind. They remain focused on the mind, free of distraction, ardent and alert and mindful while putting aside craving and distress with reference to the world. Whatever quality of my mind is, this is the fourth foundation of mindfulness, I learn to be at peace with it. We learn to be at peace with less than peaceful mind states. This isn't escapism. This isn't salvation. This is human reality. reality. And if we want to live a human life, we have to have to be in it. We have to accept it as it is. Again, because as soon as I think that something should be or must be different in the world, I've just created conflict in my mind. And I might even bring that out into the world. Whenever a monk trains himself, I will breathe in and breathe out, satisfying the mind. The mind is satisfied by just being present by not insisting that my mind be different than it is. Treat our minds the way we would like to be treated. Oh, it sounds a little crazy, doesn't it? But if I'm saying no, no, no to my mind, don't think that, don't go there. Again, I'm in conflict with my mind. Radical acceptance is what I'm learning. And I'm also learning the, the significant difference between understanding the difference between acceptance and approval. And the, the, the most important application of that understanding is within myself. I breathe out. I will, I will breathe in and breathe out satisfying the mind. I will breathe in and breathe out steadying the mind. I will breathe in and breathe out releasing the mind. True liberation. They remain focused on the mind, free of distraction, ardent, alert, aware, and mindful, while putting aside craving and distress, greed and aversion, with reference to the world. Does everybody understand what the Buddha is saying? With reference to the world. What's the world? The world is everything in my perception. And I've now learned to not take it personally. I'm going to read it again. They remain focused on the mind free of distraction, ardent, aware, and mindful while putting aside craving and distress with reference to the world. When this occurs, the monk remains mindful of the in-breath and the out-breath, free of distraction, ardent, alert, and mindful while putting aside craving and distress with reference to the world. The Buddha brought us on this long journey today, but brought us right back to the breath. Remains mindful of the in-breath and the out-breath. Then he says, I do not say that there is a development of refined mindfulness of breathing for one who is forgetful of these instructions or who is not fully mind, fully aware of these instructions. The Buddha is saying, just follow the game plan, follow the instructions. Whenever a monk trains himself, I will breathe in and breathe out sensitive to impermanence. I will breathe in and breathe out sensitive to dispassion. I will breathe in and breathe out sensitive to cessation. I will breathe in and breathe out sensitive to relinquishment. 
relinquishment of all fabricated views, all wrong views. On this occasion, the monk remained sensitive to all mental qualities, free of distraction, ardent, alert, and mindful of putting aside craving and distress with reference to the world. That's, again, a reference to the fourth foundation of mindfulness. Sensitive to all mental qualities. Whatever comes up in my mind, I'm sensitive to it, which means that I'm not engaged in sensuality anymore about my thoughts. They're just my thoughts. And because I've learned to gain control of my mind, a thought is just a thought. A feeling is just a feeling. And so in this moment, I'm doing just what the Buddha taught me to do, to breathe in and breathe out. On this occasion, the monk remained sensitive to all mental qualities, free of distraction, ardent, alert, and mindful, <coughs> while putting aside craving and distress with reference to the world. <coughs> That's what we're doing. That's really all we're doing while integrating the entire Eightfold Path to get to those views. The Buddha continues and finishes with, those who see with wisdom and understanding, meaning right view, the relinquishment, the abandoning of craving and distress are those who have established right mindfulness or refined mindfulness with equanimity. When this occurs, this person remains mindful of all mental qualities, free of distraction, ardent, alert, and mindful, while putting aside craving and distress with reference to the world. This is how mindfulness of the in-breath and the out-breath is appropriately developed so as to bring the four, the four foundations of mindfulness to their culmination. That's today's class. Um, it's gotten a little bit late, so I want to hear from every one of you if you'd like to share, but keep it short. Um, I'm just going on the top left of my screen. Hello, Brian. Morning, John. Thank you for the teaching. This just reminds me that this is not a this is not a passive practice. Yeah. The 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 items in this particular section point to the training of the mind, which is to be active in the process and paying attention to the process. And in the paying attention is where yeah. the concentration and discernment is developed. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. That, that was a, a, a great synopsis of what what we just talked about. How about you, Tom? Good to see you again, my friend. Yeah, good, great to be back. Um, really enjoyed this extract from the Anapanasati Sutta. Um, and it just, as always, just incredibly relevant to, you know, I, I received a bit of a um, bit of news earlier that was slightly disappointing in nature and then you, the tendency is to create so many stories around that right and and this stuff really works <laughs> that's the genius <laughs> of it because you yeah. you you become sensitive to everything thing um you know the the, the sort of the pain which you can feel on the body which is as a result of the craving or whatever it is, the aversion that you have that you've, you've developed as a mental state to, to something, you know, that's happened in your life. Yeah. So it was just really, really relevant. I think both the, the meditation itself before, and then just a, a reminder um, of um, how this works and why it works. Um, and, and almost that, that feeling that, or, or that a, a reminder that, <coughs> Becoming aware of, um, or, uh, of your breath and focusing on your breath doesn't mean necessarily that that feeling will disappear, but you're just creating that some sort of distance between yourself and that feeling, right? So you, you, yeah. you lose the craving for that feeling to disappear. It's just there. You observe it. And of course, at some point in time, it will pass away. Um, and, and just being able to create that distance is, is truly, you know, life-changing, I believe. So, um, yeah, yeah, thank you very much for the, for the teaching. Yeah, and another uh, great synopsis again, creating that space, you know, for you, really you're creating the space for yourself to live in what you're doing. Thank you, Tom. Kevin, where are you on the screen? There you are. 
Hello, Kevin. Hello, John. Hi, everybody. Good to see everybody again. Um, yeah, it's um, really, this really is the heartwood. You know, it is the Dhamma. This teaching, Anapanasati Sutta, is just the whole thing. You know, and uh, if we can stay on that path, then it will lead to relinquishment and, uh, and calm. Thank you very much. Thank you, Kevin. Hello, Mary. Good to see you this morning. Good morning. Um, it, it just reinforces um, the basics of, for any of us that are trying to participate in this program, but have not yet developed the twice a day meditation, no matter what the circumstances are. We have, we're all on this call living different lives, uh, different experiences, and prioritizing this because we want the outcomes. Prioritizing this means that I will experience two meditations a day, no matter the length, right? Be gentle on ourselves, but yep. to find yep. that time to be good to ourselves and allow ourselves that meditative uh, time and to be present with the breath, it's just so critical. And if that's one takeaway for anybody that's struggling or doesn't always get to maintain their practice, not in a negative, Ooh, I, I'm, I'm that person, I don't always get to practice. It's more like, be good to yourself and give this gift to yourself of twice a day. And then the other thing I thought of um, just quickly with what Tom was saying is that the experience will allow you to become the observer of that experience somewhere. We discussed that somewhere along the way here that you become the observer of your ego experiencing whatever it is that's going on by creating that distance that Tom talked about. And you are much more objective to guide yourself through those difficult times when you are the objective observer of that experience and when you, and, and you only do that by being present with your breath and creating that distance that Tom mentioned. So thank you, thank you, John. Again, thank you, Mary, that, that, um, that, that space, that Tom talked about and that that distance that you talked about, Mary, is really getting you're you're turning your mind back on itself, aren't you? And getting mm -hmm. a look yes. look at what you really think what you're thinking is doing to you. And when you see it, then it becomes really very easy to just let it go <coughs> because right. you realize it's us. Uh, and the other thing, I'm so glad you said that that the two a day sits. I think we're going to emphasize it even more and more because that's so important. I find myself talking about it more and more too. Um, two sits a day is, is really what we should all be striving for. And even if that second sit, um, and again, try not to make that second sit right before you go to bed, maybe when you get home from work or whatever you're doing during the day. Um, and it doesn't have to be another long session. If, in other words, if you're sitting for 20 minutes in the morning, don't feel like you have to sit for 20 minutes later in the day. If you can, you can. But at least get another second sit in. And I've never heard a person not say how much beneficial that was, just getting in the, the two okay. sits a day. So thanks for bringing it up. It is so important. Thank you, John. Good morning, Bridget. morning John thank you again for the teaching um just as we were uh you know going through the teaching and talking about um you know uniting the the mind and the body and uh, being sensitive to relinquishment um just happy to report I had a great experience with that this past week it was a, a great milestone I felt in my practice where I just came up against something familiar and uh was really wrestling with my mind and i just uh gave myself the permission to you know reunite myself with my breath and it just passed away so is it that amazing <laughs> it yeah. was it was it was I, wonderful and life went on so 
it yeah. was great to have the chance to put that, uh, you know, into practice in one of the more challenging, you know, moments. So, yeah, and of course, it's because I've been really, you know, focusing on Jana and uh, yeah, you're doing the work, and you should, you should, you should expect to reap the benefits of it. Again, that's why we talk about it. Why the Buddha points it out: if you do this, you can expect this. You know, yeah. he's not a snake oil salesman. You know? <laughs> Thank goodness. Just, so. Thanks, Bridget. <laughs> Thank you, John. Cody. Hello, John. Hello, everyone. Um, hurts a little bit to talk, so I'm going to practice some silence. But I well, thank you, everyone, for all of your um, input and guidance. I'm glad you joined us. I hope you both feel better soon but just keep feeling it'll change uh is anybody everybody's okay with being on camera okay uh, i'm gonna start with tracy hello tracy I guess. Um, but what happened to me today, just while I was sitting here listening to you and really concentrating on exactly what you were saying about inconstancy and dispassion and relinquishment, I, I just had sort of a, a moment of clarity where I realized that if you're thinking that you can change your mind and you're fighting with it, it that's that's not it. That's not going to happen. Mm. And I just realized that you can just even even when you're you're meditating, you're saying things like. Oh, wow, my mind is really tight. I can't relax. If you just accept that your mind is not relaxed, then you're not in conflict with it anymore. <laughs> you just broken the chain of, of the need to approve. I just, and I just realized that. <laughs> just, ex if you, you're in conflict with it if you're not accepting that it's not yeah. relaxed. Yeah. <laughs> And that's it. Then you then forget it. You know, the entire thing is going. <laughs> yeah. The entire chain is in motion now. Yeah. yeah. And you realize you're doing it to yourself. It's not. Right. right. It's not Just anything going on. You know, it's not. The, yeah. So that was my realization today. So. That's a great Thank one. Thank you very much, John. <laughs> Thank you. Can you top that, Adam? Uh, I can't possibly. <laughs> But I'll steal other people's ideas, though, <laughs> particularly uh, David's. Um, the idea of that this is how to corral yourself from going all over the map. Yeah. The mechanical structure here, I think, is so vital. Mm -hmm. on, yep. on, on a credit card size thing, keeping my money, keeping my wallet. <laughs> this is so great. But a question, though. Can you remind me of the four foundations of mindfulness? Being mindful of the of the. Breath in the body is the first foundation of mindfulness. And this is how we begin a meditation session, right? We find a secluded spot, we sit. First foundation. And then as I'm sitting, I realize that um, there's a pain in my body that's distracting. You know, I can't meditate. I know my leg hurts too much. It's just a feeling that arises and passes away. Recognizing that feeling. And again, it could be an emotional feeling, a thought attached to a feeling but it's impermanent we notice that it just arises and passes away same thing with a thought you know we, we recognize in meditation that i'm the one that's clinging to these thoughts or i'm not the third foundation of mindfulness is being mindful of the impermanence of thoughts arising and passing away 
And a fourth foundation of mindfulness is being mindful that you have a mind and then there's a quality to that mind and it's always changing as well as thoughts and feelings, as our breath does, rises and passes away. Be at peace with your mind, it's your mind. So no matter how we find our mind, whatever the quality of it is, even as Becky said, I find that in this moment, I'm conflicted. Now I can take a breath and let it pass. So the four foundations of mindfulness are the most basic application, but it's also the most advanced. Because when we can just understand that, that really all, the, all that is going on in my life is my breath in this present moment. Right? Even, even what you just asked me is gone. That moment's no longer part of the reality. I'm responding to it in this present moment. And what the future will bring, I don't know. But I'm here, I'm present. And there are no other answers necessary, is there? I'm just here. So that's the, the, the basic foundation of the four foundations of mindfulness and their culmination. And it's, it, and it's all the same thing, isn't it? Did I answer your question? Yes, you did. Thank you, John. Man, I'm good. <laughs> got an answer for everything. My mother used to say that. You've got an answer for everything. <laughs> she was right. I think I got Raquel in there. There's Raquel. Uh, I was trying to be I noticed uh, this year that my mind, of course, is always going to be a difficult time to focus on the concentration. But I noticed this week as I paying attention to the breath and to my thoughts, I noticed that the tendency is to go to think negatively, of course, yeah. going back to uh, experience and things, and, um, and, and the fear and everything else that comes. And, uh, but, but to me, just noticing that because of the practice here was a kind of relief. Oh, yeah. You know, that's, uh, and another thing was uh, being with my husband, we are constantly in each other's kids. And I, like last night, I, I noticed that I remember uh, what Don said last time about the tear incident because he started having, when I say he started not taking responsibility, and right? he started having some argument, and I said, I'm not going there. Um, and I practiced to continue, and I didn't take personal. Yes. So, and then that resulted in. We didn't have any coffee, we said we were about to go to bed and stuff. And I'm not going to engage until, you know, this was very refreshing. Um, and I want to thank you and everybody's contribution for this. You're welcome, but give yourself a lot of credit, Raquel, because you did the work. You're the one that developed that quality of mind. You know? We're just here as part of it, really. I mean, I, I appreciate what you're saying, and I'm not dismissing it in any way. I, I, I like the feedback. But give yourself a lot of credit. You know, really. That's a big thing. And again, to recognize the difference and also recognize the difference it had in your environment. You didn't end up getting into a fight, did you? Because you refused to have conflict in your mind. And that was enough to stop it. You know, that's why I say if we... If, the most loving thing I can do for myself and all others around me is to take to the Dhamma. Stop arguing with everybody. Mm -hmm. so good for you. Thank you for sharing. Just one quick question. Please. What is the right mind? The right mind? Uh, if you're referring to the fourth foundation of mindfulness, it's just being at peace with the present quality of mind, however that's uh, presenting itself. But right mind or right view is understanding that nothing is personal. What he understood, this is not me, this is not mine. And you did that, you stopped taking the uh, situation with your husband personally in that moment and you diffused the situation. So that's the best example I can give you of right mind. In that moment, you were in right mind. It felt good, didn't it? 
<laughs> Thanks, Rico. Lord, my goodness. Yeah, thank you, John, for uh, <clears throat> incorporating this sutta. Um, it's a long one, but it's really important. I was reading through it a little bit before. And um, yeah, the, I love all the instructions. And even though it might initially come across as like this formulaic kind of thing, it's really brilliant because, you know, the first kind of group of instructions, you know, it's just such a great reminder of how we're supposed to be kind of really aware, fully aware of our breath and our breathing. And not only the sensation of that, but it, in that, like Adam brought up, it fulfills, like our, that jhana practice fulfills the four foundations of mindfulness, yeah. which is why we follow, you know, the guided meditation instructions, you know. So uh, also to Mary's point, I'm realizing, you know, twice a day and then the guided meditations, like there's a reason why we're doing this yeah. and um, it really is, you know, key to, um, yeah, cultivating just a peaceful mind. I mean, just as a side note, um, my parents and I have been watching this documentary on the Vietnam War and it's really difficult to watch, but one of the um, veterans was saying, something really poignant that I thought of, he, he was saying, you know, people talk about how the military turns people into killing machines, but really it's just kind of finishing school in a way because we all have, as a human species, kind of just genetically this tendency at times, especially under extreme stress, to engage in conflict, even if it's just small conflict or yeah. to be aggressive and I even feel it in myself sometimes too just like that anger or rage or aggression building up and it's just he he was saying you know if we just stop thinking of ourselves as like oh we're always the good guys we're and just really taking an honest look you know and recognizing that aggression and through a practice like this I mean that's how you do it. You literally come face to face with what is coming up in me. You yeah. know? And he's like, a lot of wars could honestly be avoided that way if we just all, you know. But like you always say, John, it always comes back to what's going on internally, not what's going out, you know, yeah. externally. So thank yeah. you. Thank yeah, you. If we could just get the entire species to change, right. it would be okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we would, but it, that would that would deny exactly. the first noble yeah, truth. Exactly. Though. Right. And, I, and yeah. honestly, I mean, we I don't have to change the noble truth. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that um, it, it it can sound. Um, I, don't, I can't even think of the right word, but uh, I, I guess I'll just use the word negative to think that. Duke, when the Buddha said there is dukkha, he's, he's really just stating as a consequence of having a human life, understanding that human beings' minds that are ignorant of four noble truths are prone to greed and aversion because of that. And even during the, you know, the Buddha lived in a time that was just as turbulent as ours. There were always wars going on. There was a bunch of little kingdoms mm -hmm. all over northern India and southern Nepal. And, you know, they were always in battle. Um, and the Buddha was in the middle of all of that. And so, you know, he saw the same things. And he didn't go out and say, no, no, no. Even when he was advising um, a king that was about to go into battle against someone, he didn't say, no, 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 you can't kill anybody. You shouldn't do it. It's immoral and all this stuff. Because he understood that that mind was already going somewhere. But what he did do is he told him, when you win, you treat these people, whoever you be, you, yeah, you treat them properly. You treat them with respect. You know, you, you, you take care of their wounds. You, you provide hospitals for them, et cetera, et cetera. Because he knew that was the only best thing that he could do. And the same is true today. You know, I, I, 
I wish I didn't see what I saw yesterday, but I saw it. And I understand. I grew up in the Vietnam War, and I had friends that went there. I, didn't, I missed it by a couple numbers. And the things that they came back and told me that they had to do, which is, again, just horrendous. These little, you know, 19, 20-year-old kids. But there is Duca. And for me to think that it should be any different, I've now brought more conflict into a world that's conflicted enough. So again, the, the most loving thing I can do for myself and all others is to end conflict in my mind. So at least I'm not introducing that conflict in the world. And you're right, Becky, if everybody would just do it, well, for one thing, we need a bigger room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it would, it would, it would obviate that the first noble truth is that occurred. Right, Ron? Right, but even if we've managed to get everybody's mind straightened out, there would still be, you know, famines and floods and yeah, uh, there is Duke. and disease and sickness and death. No, yeah. that that never goes away. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe we can get everybody on board, but you know, <laughs> it still likely. wouldn't change. Yeah, yeah, you're right. right, and we can still, still have to have a calm mind and and and, and have you know acceptance of where you are. Yeah, yeah. there is dukkha. That's you know that's that's it's a given. That having a human life, there's going to be dukkha, but. I can understand it. If I can understand it, I don't have to react to it anymore. I don't have to. Thank you, Rob. Right there. You just said the word that I was going to use. Whenever there's stress, this practice allows you to, how you react. At that moment, you have an opportunity to develop this mind and concentration and mindfulness to be able to be in that moment to react. Mm -hmm. And you can react with what Cal said. You can let it spin out of control and let it build on itself and cause stress with someone else. Or you can use wise restraint. And at first it might be like this like crude version of restraint. But then it becomes more refined. Yeah. And then it kind of like you said, you, you can't make this happen. It just starts to fall away. And that's what you're really doing. You're, you're deciding how you want to handle stress. Yeah. And you can react with more grace and understanding. Because that's what we're doing. We're understanding our mind. Yeah. Understanding the stress. So that's how I think. I keep it really ground level type of thinking. And then you can build out to as far as you want to go to individuals, to the governments. But of course, you can't get everyone to do this. So you take care of yourself. Yeah. So. I did send the truth of happiness to the last two White Houses, but <laughs> I did. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Freak. Yeah. For free. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't hear back from either one. But I gave it a shot. <laughs> Does anybody have any? Questions or comments? That words. There'll be one. Should have put a price tag on it. So it would have been presidential library. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe I should check what's in the Library yeah. of Congress. I think somebody probably got it before it got to Mr. Trump or Mr. Biden. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, they found some benefit. <laughs> um. Yeah, I don't expect to be. Called to give a talk at the White House <laughs> any more than I expect to play center field for the. That's what I'll tell them. All right. Um, there'll be one more class on the Anapanasati Sutta, and there are seven more, I think, seven more classes left in this, and then we're going to do a. Our retreat is next weekend. Uh, I hope you can all join us in one way or another. Yeah, and then uh, the, the next um, 
review is going to be on the true meaning of the pasana, meaning true introspective insight into these three marks and that will carry us into next year where we'll do another truth and happiness but, uh, the in the camera thank you we'll finish with meta as we always do So take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath and let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. And these are the Buddha's words on metta describing uh, the qualities of an awakened, fully mature human being. This is what is done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. They are able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied. They remain unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways. They are peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. They do not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. They are always mindful that all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born. They are always mindful to not deceive another or despise any being in any state. They abandon anger and ill will with ease, never wishing harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart, the wise disciple cherishes all living beings. They radiate kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, they maintain refined mindfulness. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, and having completed the path, they do not give birth to another moment rooted in ignorance of four noble truths. Thank you for a wonderful class today. Thank you, John. Thanks, John. Peace, everyone. Um, see everyone. Bye. See you all. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.